You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 180. Today, I'm sitting down with author John A. Brink, and we're talking all about how every obstacle became his superpower. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is the first time that you're hanging out with me today, welcome. I'm super excited for today's episode. I am sitting down with John A. Brink, who is a World War II survivor, a Canadian serial entrepreneur, nationally ranked bodybuilder at age 81, public speaker, dresses writer and author of two books against all odds and ADHD unlocked. And in fact, this gentleman is also on TikTok, which we're going to be talking about inside of this episode. Inside of this episode, you'll hear how John left the Netherlands in 1965 with only one single suitcase and $25.47 in cash. He had no connections. He didn't speak the language. He never finished elementary school, yet he was convinced he could make his dream to build his own sawmill come true. Despite the current circumstance he faced, plus the adversary that he continued to face in his journey, which he describes in this episode, the tenacity and resilience and commitment to himself is part of what brought his dreams to fruition. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, John? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm doing very well, Beverly. How are you? I'm doing so good. I am so pumped for today's conversation. Just before we hit record, I know that you have a wealth of knowledge to share with my community. So I'm super pumped that you're here. So for those of you who have never heard of you or your work before, John, I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and how you got there. Okay, so I was born in Holland in 1940 uh, in North Eastern Holland, uh, the exact uh, uh, close to the German border. So this was already. I was born November the first, so just after the start of the Second World War. Obviously, things were difficult during the war. Uh, my dad was drafted by the Dutch army. Uh, my mother, mother had me as the youngest, and then a sister one year older, a brother two years older, and she tried to survive with us through the war. And then we got liberated on April the twelfth, nineteen forty-five by the Canadian Army. And it made such an impression on me that from that time forward, when I was five, I always knew someday I would go to the land of my heroes, Canada. And it took me till I was 24 in 1965 that I was finally able to do that. And I arrived in Canada in about July of 1965. And I wanted to start from the bottom up. You know, I had one suitcase. I had uh, three books, a set of clothes. I left Holland with $150. 
I want to bridge Columbia because I wanted to, and the other dream that I had is build my own lumber mill and had to go to British Columbia. That's where they grow all the timber. And then when I arrived there, I couldn't speak the language. I went to the immigration office, talked to a fellow that spoke German and I could speak some German. And I told them what I wanted to do, build my own sawmill. And he said, go to Prince George, that is central British Columbia, that's where I am today. And I arrived there late July, 1965. I had $25.47. Couldn't speak the language, didn't have a job and didn't know a soul. And, uh, but I still had that dream. I was going to build a sawmill, not if, but when. And uh, it took me 10 years before I started the company that I have still today, the Brink, Brink Force Products and part of the Brink group of companies. We employ about 400 people today. We have about three or four different companies, about 10 other companies, uh, you know, and that's kind of what I'm doing. That is amazing. And so now there are so many lessons in there that I just want to dive into because I, it's clear to me, I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and make, make that leap that many of the resilience components that you had and trust you had to really just go all in on your dream essentially this is what has carried you through so i'm curious you know what would you say to someone who's starting out you know how what was the process how did you turn 25 dollars into you know your prospering company you know, I had a bit of a challenge, you know, obviously starting out, uh, you know, being liberated and being under war, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that even at the young age, it adversely affects you. And uh, obviously, but I still remember from those years, even then, that three things in particular, one was hunger constant feeling of hunger. I can feel that still today. Uh, PTSD probably was part of that. And then the other one was anxiety, you know, because in a war setting, seeing far too many things that you should not see. So those things were always part of me. And then the other part that took me a long time to realize is that I was not overly successful academically. I, mm-hmm. I failed grade three once. Uh, who fails grade three, really? You know, <laughs> then I failed grade seven three times. Then oh my gosh. Uh, they said, what are we going to do with this guy? So the... Uh, <laughs> Should we send him to the mentally challenged school or should we get him a job? So they got me a job and I loved my parents obviously deeply, but it was a a challenge for them. So I was relatively small for my age. So they sent me to a furniture factory to become a furniture maker. And they got me a set of coveralls over the weekend from a student to becoming a laborer. The coveralls were far too big for me because they didn't have small coveralls like that. So they rolled up the pant legs and then the crotch was hanging around my knees. So that's smarter than now, but it wasn't then. I, I, I became a furniture maker. And then uh, I did that, you know, for a number of years. And then I was drafted into the Dutch Air Force that was mandatory and special forces, actually. I don't know why, but that's where they put me. I wanted to be a pilot. So I was in the Dutch Air Force for two years. And then I still had that dream of going to Canada. And obviously, I kind of felt like I had failed in school. It was always on my mind. I was already quite successful in Holland, but I felt I had to prove something, if not to anybody, to myself, that I could do it. I did have it, you know, and then when I was 24, I decided to start from the ground up, leave for Canada 
build the lumber mill that I had dreamed of and start from nothing. So that's what I did. When I arrived here, as I said earlier, in July of 1965, I stood there with my suitcase, couldn't speak the language, didn't know, sold, didn't have a job. And I counted my money at three, three or four times. You know, I had $25.47. And the funny part about it is that uh, my employees and the people that work around me got me and made me up a plaque, actually. And they made it for me and they said, uh, you know, so here it is. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. <laughs> Attitude, passion, work ethic, but follows success. You know, so, and that's what I did. I, I knew I was going to build the sawmill, even with $25.47. I've worked hard enough. I had the passion. I loved lumber and boundless determination. And then what I discovered by pure coincidence, cranking forward very, very quickly, I already started the first uh, operation when I was here 10 years, 1975. But it took me till I was 57. I was in the bookstore and I opened a book, Driven to Distraction was the book. I'm not a big book reader. And as I read it, it, it talked about ADHD. I had never even heard of it. But then when I read it, I said, oh my God, that's me. I looked through the book. I spent at least a half an hour looking at the book. Finally, the owner of the store kind of was coming down and said, are we going to buy it or what are we going to do here? And so I bought it, obviously. And then I wrote in it in Dutch. Now I finally know who I am. And it, that's how long it took me. And then that kind of explained a lot of things about me in terms of ADHD. I had never even heard of it. It became then very much part of my knowledge in terms of who I was and what was driving me uh, to success. I call it ADHD today is the superpower. Oh, I can't wait. So I've got two questions to ask following up that because number one, one of the things that Chris had mentioned to me when we, when I spoke to him is that you have taken, you have had the ability to take decades of life and decades of experience and really distill it into 10 principles, 10 fundamental principles that you live by. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about what those are. And then I'd also love for you to unpack, you know, how specifically would you consider ADHD to be your superpower. Yeah. So, so what I did, uh, Beverly, is that I thought about this for a long, long time. I always knew, you know, I had to share that with other people. So what I say is that I started working on that book and it took me a long, long time, bit by bit. And then somehow it didn't develop into a book. And then I say it took me 80 years to live it. It took me 20 years to think about it and two years to write it. And it resulted in to this book. Mm, against all odds. Okay. Against all odds. And it basically goes through all of that in terms of the circumstances around my life and all the things that happened along the way. And the book is not so much about hurrah, hurrah, John, but in regards to all the challenges and all the difficulties and all the things that can go wrong in someone's life and wondering then as people sometimes do can i do it or what 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 are my challenges and what where can i succeed and all the dreams that i have is all of that is in there that's what that book is all about not so much john but more into that if you stay the course attitude passion work ethic and, and you find your passion in particular, your dreams will come through. You know, so I did that 
that came out about two years ago, Against All Odds, available in audio as well, actually. First book I ever read, quite successful, actually, and I'm proud of it internationally, even. <laughs> it's on johnabrank.com, available at amazon.com. Then the, the other thing that I did, I started to become more and more vocal about the stigma around ADHD and finding that it is a disorder which I do not believe it is. It is far beyond that. It became more and more obvious to me is that a lot of people feel, as I did for a long time, ashamed about talking about ADHD. When I was diagnosed, I, I read it in the book that I said earlier. And then five years later, I went to my home doctor, a friend, I didn't even want to mention it to him. When I mentioned it to him, one day I came into his office and he had delivered my two daughters and then he was a friend of the family. And I, he said, well, John, what can I do for you today? And I said to him, I think I got ADHD. And he said, why, why do you think that? And so we talked about it for a while and uh, he had some experience with it. And he said, I believe you do too. And so from that point forward, I was trying to reconcile as to what it really meant to me. I learned more about it by Googling and on and on and reading about it. And then I felt I had to write about it. And so I wrote a book about it and it just came out here a couple of weeks ago. Okay, there we go. ADHD Unlocked. Yes. The amazing thing that has happened, Beverly, over and over and over again, I, it happens to me that people say, you know something, John? I've never really talked about it, but it's in my family. My son has or something like that. It just has gone on over and over and over again that I come to the conclusion, no question about it, that the frequency of occurrence both for male and female, much more common than people ever anticipated. I believe it even to the extent that it is virtually impossible not to be encountering it in your personal life, in your workplace, or anywhere in the community. Because one of the things that happens with ADHD individuals, they are quite unique, and I say that in a positive way, and to understand them it's extremely important, but I believe more first and foremost, it should not be a stigma. It's not a liability. It's an asset because it allows you to do things other people are not able to do. Simply, I can, I can manage 20 things all at the same time, you know, and, and I do that virtually on a daily basis. And even at 82, you know, and I'm still full of spirit and I'm still excited about life. I still have lots of things that uh, I'm hoping to do. I ride English dressage. We have 10 horses. I'm the oldest competitive bodybuilder in Canada, I believe at 82. I'm competing again in November and hopefully at the Arnold's next year and I'm going to win and uh, <laughs> so, obviously and we have 10 companies and uh, I'm excited about every day that uh, when I get up in the morning I make my bed and I'm excited about what's ahead of me. Oh I love that I love it I love it so what caused you to pick up the book in the first place when you first were led to drawn to learn more about ADHD? Very good question, Beverly, because I have no idea as to why it brought me to the self-help section of the bookstore. Uh, I've always been interested in kind of looking at books and, and kind of opening them and, and kind of looking at 
parts of the book, but why I did that, I still don't know today, but it changed my life. That is mm. no question about it, uh, driven to distraction. Now I understood what happened because I never could quite understand why did I fail grade three? Why did I fail grade seven three times? How come I've got so much issues with things that are boring to me that I cannot maintain attention to it? And at the same time, I have all this energy and where can I direct it? And it took me going to Canada. It took me pursuing my dreams, but it took me to that day and that bookstore that had kind of opened the door to me in terms of saying, that's who I am. Just backing it up really quickly, for those of you who don't know what ADHD is, can you unpack it, unpack what that is? Why do people consider it a liability and how you used it to your advantage? It says attention deficits, hyperattention deficit disorder. And, and uh, or ADD in some cases, attention deficit disorder, hyperattention, uh, it's more commonly known now as ADHD. What it does is makes you in particular focusing on, on uh, in the traditional way of learning, sitting in school for years on end and doing boring things is just very well for those individuals. And it's more and more recognized as something that usually what happens to those individuals, they tend to become entrepreneurial have that special knack for being especially suited for those areas but uh, it's not a disorder it's uh, it gives you the ability to absorb a lot of information in your way and become very very successful as it is better understood and the stigma disappears people are quite able and capable of saying now is that's what I have and that's why it was so important for me to write the book because what I'm saying in this book is that the interesting part of our find the book? Can you see the price on the book? Yeah, twenty five forty seven. What you had in your pocket when you came. So, so what was important to me, Beverly, is that saying that writing the book about it. The book is very interesting because I'm interviewing as well ten or twelve different people that have become very successful or in their own lives being uh, successful with ADHD and telling their stories and as to what made them successful. The one that wrote a foreword is one of the best known medical doctors in Prince George, also a surgeon, Dr. Tracy Lotz, ADHD, mm -hmm. born Johannesburg, South Africa. For your information you know. where i'm born that's where yeah. i'm born so we will send you a copy of this book <laughs> we will sign it for you we can even send you a whole box if you wish you know so but we will get you a book copy of both of the books so what i'm trying to do is saying it's not a liability, it's an asset. Recognize it for what it is. The younger a person is, the sooner we know that they have a tendency in that direction, we can train them in such a way that it opens up the opportunities of ADHD, not the liabilities and that uh, recognizing all those particular areas. So I'm curious now, and I'm about to ask you a question that in your opinion, why has that asset or superpower been considered a liability for so long? And how does one recognize some of the traits and have that aha, oh my gosh, this is me moment? 
and again, as you already know, and you already classified, I'm not a medical doctor, obviously, and I'm not right. claiming to be. But we see now is where children, young, young children in particular, but also young adults finally are realizing that although they may have had some awareness, create some awareness first. What is ADHD? What is the frequency of occurrence? Read about it, not only in my book, but in other books, so that some of the typical being hyperactive and then attention, having problems with attention is sometimes an issue. So to get a medical opinion by a qualified individual is important. And at the same time to read about it, including my book and other books. It is coming more than anything out of the closet, if you wish, where because of the name disorder, I believe that is really not appropriate in terms of suggesting that it is a bad thing. It is not. It can lead a lot of people and very, very successful people that we know of are ADHD and are proud of it, in fact. You know, but it took some time to remove the stigma from it. And I'm very excited about that. And I hope that we help the world to realize that more and more is saying that, you know, we have some challenges with some of our kids or or even I've had even young adults say to me, I never realized that, but I have ADHD. I have, I do a podcast as you do. It's at the brink. It's John A. Brink. We do one a week and over and over again, I find people coming on my show, not because I chose them to be for that reason that say to me, my son has this, or I have ADHD and I've really never talked about it. And I say, that's unfortunate. But I believe more and more it is being looked at as not a liability, but as an asset. Mm -hmm. So how does someone who has ADHD show up differently than someone who doesn't? Well, to a certain extent, you're already, you know, at 82, I think I'm doing pretty good as an ADHD guy. You know, I, <laughs> I have this passion. I have this hunger for gaining knowledge. I'm extremely active in all the things that I do, and I'm pretty good at it. I found my passion. I live my dream, and I'm very active in doing it. A lot of people say to me, I don't know how you do it. You're a bodybuilder. You're, you're a pilot. All these things that you are doing, you're obviously an author. You're a public speaker. You do podcasts. How do you do them? Oh, I got ADHD, you know, so I can do a lot of things. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the companies uh, that we have, about 10 or 12 different companies, we're always looking at growing, we're going to double in size in the next two to four years, all those kind of things. And you're saying, hmm, I wonder if this guy is ADHD. Now, you mentioned that you are competing at the Arnold and you're a bodybuilder. So how did that come about? When did you find the love for fitness or for bodybuilding specifically? Great question. Is that just a little bit of a background? There's always a trigger, right? So the, we all want to do better. And so we get this uh, subscription to the gym and then we go once or twice and then we don't go anymore, right? So the, <laughs> we've done all of that. In my case, I had uh, a case of diverticulitis nearly killed me. And, uh, that became the trigger. That is always a trigger of some sort. And then from there on in, I said, I'm going to be much more serious about eating healthy and, and living healthy and getting exercise. So I started going to the gym 2009 or something like that. And I started to go to the gym initially, very intimidating please, uh, places to go to for a guy like me. Then everybody looks so much better than I do. And, and, and they all were watching me. This is not the case. It's all psychological, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. in any event, uh, I started to become serious about it. I got a training 
trainer, uh, took it very, very serious. I went there, trained about 10 hours a week. After a number of years, somebody said to me, uh, you're looking good, John. Have you ever thought about going compete? I said, compete? So it triggered something and I like to have goals. I started to become more focused. I started competing then. In, in 2017, I think it was, started competing on a local basis, bodybuilding and physique and the senior levels. I think it was 50 and older, and I already was 70, so they could have been my kids. But I came in third in bodybuilding, second in physique, which placed me for the provincials, came in third in physique, second in bodybuilding. Can you imagine? And that mm. for the nationals and for the Arnolds. And then obviously what happened is COVID. And then oh, yeah. I started all over again here about six months ago, and I'm well on the way now. So I'm going to compete again end of November uh, on a provincial level, which I hope will qualify me for the Nationals in the Arnold. You know, I have to work harder than the other guys because the, the category that I'm in is 50 and older because all the other guys are gone or, or laying on the couch or are dead, right? So the, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I say that respectfully. Yeah. So, so uh, but uh, I, you know something, Beverly, between you and me and the Gatecoast? I think I'm going to win. Well, it's, it is done. It's already done. You've, you've spoken the word. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel good about it. Not so much that I look so good, but it keeps me healthy. It gives me a goal. I suggest to everybody that it's nothing more important than health and that it's nothing more important in terms of maintaining health than your diet and keeping your body active. I love it. So I'm curious, you know, as someone who has faced a lot of adversary in your life, you know, some, you know, I would even argue more than many people will in their lifetime. Uh, and not that it's a competition, just mostly how have you managed the invisible components to your success? And what I mean by that specifically is how have you mastered the mental game of, you know, it's going to work this time and moving through the adversary of faith? Another good question. You know, So I've always been right from the time that I was young, even then in adversity, of maintaining a positive attitude, even when I was younger. And that does not mean that there are some days that I'm a little bit down too, obviously. Then the other part is finding my passion in terms of what I wanted to do. I love lumber. My grandfather was a master carpenter. My dad managed a small lumber company in Holland. And it's something that I always wanted to do. I love that, you know, and then, uh, I, I have a very strong sense of work ethic in terms of I, I like to be successful, not so much for the money, but pursuing my dreams and my goals. And then no matter how bad things go, I'm always looking at it. The cup is half full, not half empty. And I will swear that if it rains today and I want sunshine, it is sunshine tomorrow. There's no question in my mind. I avoid negative people as much as I can. I'm a believer. Mm, that's so good. And you know, what I'm also hearing you say, and I'm, and I'm curious your opinion on is that you were just convicted based on your passion. The passion was what kept you driving, what helped you go all in on you and trust yourself. So what would you say to someone who was struggling to find their passion? What if they felt like, you know, I don't, I'm not passionate about anything. That's a very, very good 
question as well, because I'm just in the process of writing a book which will come out next July, is finding your passion mm. and living the dream. You know, so that's what will come out. And I say, find that passion. If you can't find it on your own, talk to people that have that. They love to talk to people that... <laughs> John, can you share with me, blah, blah, blah. I do that all the time. And, uh, you know, and that's why I do my podcast. That's why I write the books. It's not for money or anything like money to in my life is secondary. It's uh, more being this positive individual and uh, sharing with other people that may be struggling. And that, that's un not unique to them. A lot of people are saying, uh, where do I find a passion? How can I feel good so that I get, because it affects everything that you do. It affects you, not only your, your career, but it affects your family life, your relationship with others. And even more importantly, yourself, as you get up in the morning and saying, you know something, I know already it's going to be a good day. Have you ever had to manage changing passions or if, you know, being, you know, feeling like you've fallen out of passion or fallen out of love of, of a, of a way of life and then you know giving yourself permission to have multiple passions especially as someone that has adhd like how have you have you how have you managed multiple passions if i look at my life and i'm not trying to have anybody feel sorry for me but uh, you know during the war years was not easy it still affects me today uh, in yeah. fact and you know what i remember as i said hunger it's still i can still feel yeah. it but it is cold we had no way of heating our house there was a little stove we would go out the three kids would go out with a gunny sack in the morning and find anything that was edible or burnable and, the, and especially the last year of the war the hunger went all right we had this little stove sitting together with my mom and we would burn in the front and it'd be just immensely cold that's still even still today affects me and uh, the inner child uh, because of all of that. Other things have happened to me in and, and, and litigation where we were very successful in business and there's always people that try to work on putting you out of business in some form or fashion. That's described in the book. There were several times that I was at the edge. There was a period there that I was drinking more than I should be. And it was only then through adversity that I turned around and went into a different direction. The other part that will in, in the book is I was litigating and I, without going in over details about it, but there were five arsons that were committed on myself, my, my house, and a number of other things. So I've had the, the times that I was at the bottom too and had to kind of claw back out again. Uh, it was the company for three or four times. I had to build it up again from the bottom up. But but I always knew that I can do it. I can, mm -hmm. I can pull it back. And I did. And so I'm not saying you suggesting that from my suggestion, this passion doesn't mean that always stays with you. No, it means more than anything is falling down and standing back up again and saying, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to go keep going. And then, but there have been periods in my life too, that were a, a real st a struggle during that period. I was drinking too much. I was smoking and I was on X-axis. I forget now the, the prescribed medicines. They were not good for me. And uh, mm -hmm. so I've been, been that at that point, but the key is to come back out of it again and know that you can do it. I love that you talk about under or recognizing the difference between passion and motivation versus discipline and sticking through resistance because just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you're going to feel like doing it all the time. 
Exactly. So I'm curious, how do you navigate the difference for you? And how would you suggest to anyone else to navigate the difference between recognizing, no, I just need to move through this resistance, stay disciplined, or just, you know, let it go. And maybe it's, maybe it's something you're not passionate about. Yeah. The, the easiest thing is always to give up sometimes, you know, so you have to kind of say what's important in my life and why is it important and, and who am I, what, what do I have? The qualities that I have, I'm not talking about me now, but I have an, an, an individual that makes me special. And I believe we all do that in a way that if we like what we are doing, the likelihood of being good at it is that much better. Doesn't mean that you have to be a multimillionaire entrepreneur. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other things. You can be a cleanup man woman, if you wish, that is very, very good at what they are doing and very, very happy with what they're doing and how are they going about it. The, the problem occurs when you become so down on yourself compared to others that you know you're not good enough and all things. You uniquely must reconcile. You are a good person. You are good at what you're doing. It doesn't matter what that is because it will make your life much, much easier, much, much better. And then the earlier in life you can focus on the things that you're good at, then it, it will affect the rest of your life. I, I know so many people, I'm sure you do too, is that say, you know something, I hate my job. Well, that's not good. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what you want to do. And they say, well, why don't you change? They say, well, I got mortgage and I got this and I got that. And uh, those are all excuses, you know? So mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, you can look at that and saying, what do, because to, to, to be around some people that don't like what they are doing, they probably will take it home and they don't make the relationship much better either and are not good example for their kids and other people around them. You know, so do something about it. If you say, well, you know, I, I don't do this and I don't have that. I don't have a university degree. I don't have that. And so therefore, that's an excuse for me not to being successful in life. I said, no, I don't accept that. If I can do it, you can do it. How about that one? If, if that needs to be a comparison, there are no excuses. There could be excuses, and I don't want to minimize that in terms of that. Some people are really challenged in terms of whatever that may be. And, and there are maybe ways and means that they can work on that. But I know several, as you do, that even under the most difficult of circumstances, I say, I admire that person, you know, but they are so positive. They are so happy with life in general. They are good examples. I, I probably encourage people that think that they don't have it because of something that is missing, then say, try to add it, you know, in some form. But first and foremost, thank, thank you, a good person, and that you can and will be good at all the things that you do. So good. Ultimate trust. You're talking about having ultimate trust in you. Correct. Yes. So good. Okay. So John, this has been incredible and I definitely want to be mindful of your time. So for any of you who want to go deeper and learn more about you, where are some of the best places I can send that? JohnAbrink.com is, is the website. On the Brink is my podcasting. Uh, I do it on a weekly basis. Talk to interesting persons. And then obviously my books. I'm hoping to write one book a year. Uh, not bad for grade seven, really. I'm a good author, all right? Can you believe it? And, I love it. <laughs> you know, so 
Yeah, so that's kind of where we are. I'm on social media, so we be quite active. I love it. And you know, I love that you're active on social media. I have, you know, I have to ask last question, I swear. I know that I I am going to be mindful, but like I hear people all the time say things like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm too old for TikTok." And meanwhile, they're like 20 years old. And I say that in love, but you know, what was that learning curve like for you? Interesting, but I'm always interested in all the things that are happening. I I love it. I enjoy it, and that's why we're doing it. And I agree with you in saying, well, I talk to so many people who say, well, I'm old. How old are you? I'm 55. I say, well, give me a break. You know, so you be my grandchild. You know, for all. So I say. You know, I mean, the truth is, my mom. Taught me how to use Instagram, so you know it's it's just it's just a state of mind. Yeah, I want to know it, and I may not be able to figure it out, but I'll find somebody. Uh, Scott is a big help to me a lot of times, and my team around me, and saying, uh, you know, hey John, uh, we're gonna be on TikTok. I say, oh good, you know. So uh, and then we do TikTok, and the first time then uh, we did that, we did all these uh, different things. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little. He said, John, dance. I said, "Are you kidding me?" Thank you. I'll dance. You know, so. Oh my gosh, I love it. Always have a sense of humor about what you do. Don't take yourself too serious and laugh at the world around you. But be serious when appropriate. But at the same time, have a sense of humor about it. So good, so good. Okay, I'll be sure to link all of that out. So thank you so much for pouring into us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.